The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Sequel Quest, Episode 102, a sequel to Netflix's Bird Box. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic journey to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way. Sequel Quest is go for launch, so let the adventure begin now. there and welcome to sequel quest a show for movie lovers with an imagination since this is our first show as part of the retro network i think some introductions are in order my name is adam i guess you could call me the captain of this crazy crew of fake movie adventurers i'm the resident lover of cult cinema which translates to having questionable taste in films that nobody cares about (laughs) and deeming them classic (laughs) or perfect has been used (laughs) And with that, now it's time for you to meet the second member of our podcasting team, Jeff. That is me. Why don't you tell the folks why you're here? Yes, well, Adam and I went to high school together uh, and have known each other ever since. And Adam has a way of convincing his friends to get involved in his little pet projects. And I have been here for like three years now. So that's my story. In all reality, I do love movies. My wife actually studied movies, which does make her more qualified for this podcast than I am. But I'm here anyway. <laughs> all the more reason for her not to join us. Too qualified. I, that could be it, yeah. And uh, finally, an essential part of this podcast experience, our chief engineer and producer, Jeremy. Howdy, howdy, howdy. So, you like to podcast, do you? Ah, somewhat. Now, our man with the golden voice, where did you used to put that to work? Well, mostly in the back room of a radio station that rarely saw airtime, but (laughs) this is kind of my outlet now. Yeah, well, Jeremy has a fascinating history in that he was there in the later days of terrestrial radio, you know, kind of that changeover with an actual uh, morning show that transferred itself to the podcast format. So it's interesting that when that took place and then that podcast disappeared, we grabbed him and brought him on board. And here we've been doing this, like Jeff said, three years, almost four pretty exciting but if this is your first time listening to sequel quest let us give you an idea of what to expect from the show that we've been recording and sharing with the world for more than 100 episodes so the format of the show is basically this at the top of the show we'll introduce the film and we will get into what our history is either with the film itself if it's a franchise the actors the director if there's a cultural significance to it all we like to get deep into that if we can especially again if it's a more retro themed film that has a lot of history behind it and we will be getting into films of the 70s 80s 90s and today then we each come to the table with a pitch so it could be a prequel a sequel or a reboot idea based in that universe of that film and at the 
the end of that, we all vote on our favorite, and the winning pitch is then fleshed out. We give it a few more thoughts. We try to tweak it here and there until we have a film we're all proud of. But all in all, it's a fake movie pitching show, and we have a lot of fun with it, and we always appreciate your ideas. So this is as much your show as ours. So if there's a movie that you want to hear a sequel to, then let us know. You can find us on social media, and we'd be more than happy to even have you on as a guest if you're so inclined. As we mentioned, our past archive of shows, you can find that as well. The Retro Network is going to be hosting that soon, so you'll be able to go back and deal with uh, all of our crazy ideas, including a film called Speed. We figured out a Speed 3, we called it Thrapede, which featured the lead actress of the film we're discussing today. And what is that film, Jeremy? Bird Box. And what is this bird box you speak of? Netflix decided to get into the drama and horror department and all of a sudden just dropped this movie, which became a cultural phenomenon. And they're saying it's the most viewed film ever, just due to the number of eyeballs. 45 million accounts. So that's assuming that only one person viewed each, which it was crazy if that a week after it was released on Netflix, Netflix tweeted out that little more than 45 million Netflix accounts already watched Bird Box, which if you took that and if it was released in movie theaters for the average price of $12.50 per ticket, 45 million times 12 point would have made it the biggest opening week in the history of movies. So uh, that seems a little fishy, although who knows? Uh, I just read an article that Nielsen actually confirmed in the U.S., Obviously, it wasn't all 45 million in the U.S., but there was, I think it was like 20 million. I don't remember exactly what the numbers were, but that Nielsen kind of confirmed that they seem to agree with those numbers. So Yeah, well, and it's interesting. I mean, Netflix has definitely come a long way since the days of ordering an actual DVD to be mailed to your house in a little red envelope. I mean, I was on board with that as much as I hated to see Blockbuster Video go. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I jumped onto Netflix because it was so convenient and their catalog of films was very extensive. But I think it's interesting that, yeah, I mean, almost anything that comes to Netflix now kind of becomes a phenomenon. It becomes this, whether it's Stranger Things or Glow or any of these shows that like seems like everybody's all of a sudden excited about it on social media, at least for a week while they're binging it, that it's kind of, oh, it exists now and maybe we'll go back to it. But for you guys, do you think that this is a case of just the reach of Netflix that got people's eyeballs or was it the fact that Sandra Bullock's name was attached to it? Can't it be both? I mean, they dropped it days before Christmas, so they knew people were going to be home. They knew they were going to be off work. This is the same reason that Disney Lucasfilm drops uh, Star Wars films in December. But is that an odd choice? A horror movie in December? No, because everybody's home. Right? Home for horror? (laughs) <laughs> doesn't matter it really and, <laughs> having been at my house on a christmas like the adults are gonna watch what the adults want to watch man and the kids aren't gonna be around they're off watching their own stuff anyway and so you've got time off from work like i think it makes a lot of sense but i'm kind of interested adam to kind of build off of that because this conversation kind of started because somehow you entirely missed this like have you <laughs> thought about how that was possible because you have netflix <laughs> And this must have shown up as the first banner because we all saw it. Oh, yeah. You you couldn't open Netflix without seeing it. So 
How do you think you weren't one of these 45 million? Well, I mean, Netflix has an algorithm where they know what you watch and what you pay attention to. I mean, they even change the picture for the film depending on who you are and what demographic you fall into. So if you're a 40-year-old woman, you're going to get a different picture than you are if you're a 20-year-old dude. They are very specific in that, and maybe they just knew that I was not going to pay attention, so they're like, it's not going to be a top banner for him. Uh, Maybe we'll just put it on the list here of new releases. But yeah, like for me, when you guys mentioned it, I was like, it's what? Huh? Okay. (laughs) And then I start like doing some research on it, and I'm like, wait a minute. There was the Bird Box Challenge? Yeah. I mean, this was something well, that was bird YouTube. <laughs> yeah, there were yeah. some stupid people doing oh, yeah. that. Uh, especially well, teens driving right. cars. Well, that was the one big one. But the other one, too, that I didn't know is that actually when Netflix released this, they actually tied in to four different streamers that were doing the Bird Box Challenge, but they were only doing it playing video games, trying to play oh. video games while blindfolded, and they were doing that through Twitch. And then, yeah, it started this craze of like, can I walk through my house blindfolded? Okay. Can I walk down the street blindfolded? Uh, can I cross the street blindfolded? Whoa, <laughs> time out a second. Yeah, I mean, there's kids getting slammed into walls by their dad that's pulling them, you know, through a doorway and doesn't realize the kid is not right behind. It, it was just all terrible, terrible ideas. Even, you know, when you go back to the early days of these uh, online, you know, social media challenge things, you know, the ice bucket challenge, that's just a bucket of ice on your head. You know, like there's not a whole lot of danger with that. But in this case, people just took it a little too far. So I could see why they would say, yeah, please don't do that. Don't sully our film that we invested a whole bunch of money in and make it that much more controversial. But like, yeah, but I think you're right. I mean, Netflix, obviously very savvy. But then Sandra Bullock, she's had quite a career. Like, she's so interesting. I I mean, like I said, we've done a Speed sequel, and I actually have not seen Speed 1 or 2. (laughs) Even though we did it on this show? Yes, I was aware (laughs) of it. I'd seen it in passing at a friend's house, like a few scenes. That was it. (laughs) We need to re-record that episode under false pretenses. (laughs) Well, and I finally bought it on VHS, so I catch but <laughs> my wife likes her early rom-coms like love potion number nine and while you mm. were sleeping i know her best i feel like from the miscongeniality films and that right. 90s cyber thriller the net you know oh. <laughs> also Seriously? demolition man terrible Oh my god. So, okay, so folks, this is Adam by yeah. point this out. <laughs> oh, Sandra Bullock, you mean the one from The Net and Demolition Man? Yeah. <laughs> not not like Blindside that she won an Oscar for. No, no. Demolition Man. I know her from marrying that guy from OC Choppers or whatever and divorcing oh, oh, him. Wow. Jesse James. Yeah. yeah. But I saw a few of her other films. Like, I saw a secret time travel movie, The Lake House with Keanu okay. Reeves. Okay. I saw Gravity. Okay, that's also good. Yeah, I got kids in the house. I've seen Minions, you know, her animated turn. Even Ocean's 8, which was the last film before this one True. came out. But Ocean's 8, she is nothing in that movie. Like, is she, she really? just is. She exists, but she doesn't really have any story. She's not an interesting character. So that's where I was kind of like, where is she at these days? Yeah, that's just her paycheck movie. Exactly. Right. And well, and it, it's like you pointed out, Adam, is ironically... The Net, as I understand it, The Net ruined her career. Uh, the Net was such a flop that they're like, ooh, not really a leading lady. And it wasn't until Miss Congeniality kind of brought her back into the limelight. And then 
Blindside was what cemented her as an A-lister. All of a sudden she wins an Oscar. She's like a big time player. So I feel like this is a little more in that she already has the gravitas that she's proven to carry a movie. Because this was, I mean, this was a Sandra Bullock movie. She was the main character. The entire half of the movie in the river is basically just her and a couple of silent kids. So this was, yeah, she carried the movie because she had to. Yeah, and I mean, I'll mention, you know, if you look at her performance, I mean, she does have an arc in this film as the character of Mallory, which I couldn't help the whole time. I'm just thinking family ties, you know, because uh. the, the lead daughter on that, you know, was uh, Mallory. But anyway, <laughs> as that's all happening, she comes onto the screen as a totally unlikable character. I mean, yeah. <laughs> sounds like she's had a rough life, but I mean, you, she's just a downer. She's playing it as much as she can to get you like, oh, I don't like her at all but i'm gonna have to sit with her for an hour and a half so it's one of those things where i feel like this movie if nothing else i, I like the evolution of a character that it's not just oh she was perfect to begin with and now she's perfect at the end now did you feel like she i, I see that was that was kind of one of my complaints with this movie i don't feel like she grew a whole lot i felt like by the end of the movie <sighs> she had the one moment at the very end where she decides to like go back and find the kids and stuff like that and then the 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 the, the climax where, or the climax the resolution where she gives them a name but even before that where the way she treats them on the river is horrible. I mean, I guess she's trying to be brutally honest with them, but she's certainly not very compassionate or very understanding or anything like that. Doesn't she want to leave them behind with her husband boy guy Tom? at some point? Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, her her relationship with Tom, I feel like, shows some growth in her as well, because she starts out as this kind of totally bitter sure. person who just wants to be by herself, and I'm, right. I'm content with this now, and I have my art, and that's what I do. Right. And so, you know, she's not so sure about having the kid anyway, and all that. So I feel like Tom is a great leveling factor to her that kind of makes it's her true. more well-rounded person and having the kids as well also does some good for her there is the point on the river just as they're approaching the rapids where she's sitting there with the kids and she's like okay one of us has to look right and that's when boy being courageous is like i'll look yeah and you know that's her kid her birth kid and she is contemplating hard forcing the girl to look because it's not her own flesh and blood and she has this whole time just wheel spinning and girl realizes that she's wanting her to volunteer so she volunteers and it, it breaks her does it break her you're right that is a moment i'll give that i'll give that to you but i mean what else can you do they're sitting under a sheet it's on the true river. it's true and that was i i enjoy well and that, that's that was kind of my point is that what one thing that i think is really interesting is that i don't i don't know if you guys saw a quiet place but that was obviously the the big connection instead of being you can't look at them you can't make any noise and so but it's basically the exact same concept but the interesting thing about quiet place is you love all of the characters i mean like it's just from the office for crying out loud like you love them 
as opposed to this is the other way around to have your main character be someone that you don't like yeah. is a really interesting spin of it and and for me like and I think some people didn't enjoy the storytelling where it was all these flashbacks they're on the river they're back and they're on the river and they're back and stuff like that but it was stuff like that I that I thought made it unique enough from a quiet place I didn't see a quiet place but this movie oh boy I honestly feel like it had a whole act that was missing Mm. Like there was all this kind of suspense, suspense, and then just lackluster resolution. All of a sudden, just let the air out. I'm struggling to put words to how much I disliked it. Wow. It just wasn't complete to me. It's interesting to me when you talk about, Jeff, what it took to make it unique, even though it's not 100% really like outside the box film, because to me, especially when she gets into the house and she's now with this core group of people, that's kind of your classic survivor scenario. That's like every zombie movie. That's every, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's just kind of what happens. A group of people don't know each other, are thrown together by a calamity or, you know, some giant crisis. And then now they have to learn to work together. Do they trust each other? Or do they, you know, can they trust each other? All these things that, that factor into it. And so when that happened, I mean, I'll agree, it's probably the most interesting part but to me it felt like the most rote part of it all it's like oh who's the jerk oh there's john malkovich he's the jerk that nobody likes where's the stupid person oh okay here's olympia she's the stupid person you know it's like oh here's the criminal who's a drug addict over here you know like it's just like there were just so many archetypes that i was just like okay so there's all these people they're not going to get along but i think what did make it quite interesting is the idea of okay who are they going to let in and how are they deciding to let in? But pretty much right. they want to let everybody in. Like, <laughs> there's no suspense <laughs> there. It's like, no, no, don't let them in. Okay, we're letting them in. Everybody cover your eyes. We'll let them in. You know, it's just like. But it's because for me and like, like, and you bring up a good point, Adam, but it's, it's the, the challenge, I think, is imagine this movie without the flashbacks. So it's just her going down the river. So yes, there's the suspense and yes, there's the mystery of like, what is she running from and why is there this whole thing? But the one thing that would be missing, especially because Mallory is so emotionally withdrawn, is you don't have the human factor of the apocalypse. So for me... Even though I think you're right, it is a little bit like that cliche of the survivalist where you get the group of people. I think the benefit of that is that then I put myself in this story because I see myself or it's supposed to work this way. I'm supposed to see myself in one of these characters so I can imagine what it would be like for me to try and survive this. Plus, I mean, the fact of like there was this five-year time gap so it's the same thing like with the walking dead it's always those questions of what would i do if this happened well i'd probably do this and probably do this so if they don't do this then i'm kind of like well you know i'd do better than these guys would well let me ask you this then jeff so if you're saying you put yourself into the movie which character are you who do you think you are I'm probably, in fact, I was even thinking at the time, I'm probably that Yahoo that decided to look into his monitors and ended up bashing his head <laughs> into the thing. The that would have probably, because yeah. honestly, when he did that, I'm like, that's actually a really good idea. Oh, <laughs> I'm definitely Charlie. You know, the guy who's writing his, his fan fiction, or not, I guess not fan fiction, he's saying it's actually, he's writing his book and all that, you know, so yeah. He was pretty good. And you're right, you are. Yeah. <laughs> Although, 
Well, and that's that challenging part. Then would you have then, because remember, Charlie sacrificed himself to save everybody else. Would you have been that guy? Well, did he? I thought he was just stupid and opened up the, the freezer for fish fingers. I mean, that's he was no, just opening up the door, right? He was checking on him. No, the guy was trying to get in and he was forcing his way in. So he ends up tackling him. Yeah, running out and tackling him. Oh, okay. I thought he got pulled in. Okay. Oh, he, well, I mean, yeah, like he definitely... Yes, yes, I would, Jeff. Of course okay. I would. Okay, of course. Of course. <laughs> See, but for me, that's what's so awesome about these kind of stories is that it, it forces you to ask those questions, you know, because it's not there's not necessarily heroes. There's just survivors. It's the same yeah. thing like, you know, the mist or again, like Walking Dead or anything, which on this on a side note, like talking about creativity for me, the car scene was awesome. That yeah. was the part where I start watching this and I'm like, okay, I'm in now. Like that was really cool. Where they're they're driving, they're using the GPS because they board up all the windows and everything. Yeah. Well, that's why the stupid people bird boxing while driving. I was like, are you using a GPS? No, you're not doing the movie. You guys are dumb. <laughs> they gave you the idea right there. At least get a self-driving Tesla or something. So this is my other question for you guys then, because obviously the whole crux of the film, even aside from actual, you know, the character stories and development, all of that is these entities, right? So there's these entities that you can't look at because if you look at them, then you will, they, they say it affects different people differently, right? It's like some people see their greatest regret and some people see like beautiful things and then some people... They see something, but it doesn't make them want to kill themselves. It just makes them want to go after others and make them look. And it, there was something about those people, like, it's something about insanity, or they go crazy. They're already they're... crazy, too. Yeah. That, that was yeah. my in- okay. That's how I viewed it. I mean, and obviously, the, the, with the suicides, there's a lot of brutal gore that they show people actually doing those things, and aside from killing others. But so, to you guys, does that fill you with terror does that make you get a little antsy and anxious or what did you think about that concept because that's kind of where the horror is being focused you know so that that's our that's our freddy krueger that's our the thing you know whatever you want to say so how did you guys feel about that jeremy well the whole i mean is that the act you felt was missing was maybe explaining that more or some reveal with that yeah just the reveal it's like jaws where you don't see the shark all the time, but you just know it's lurking. But then you do get some shots of the shark rustling trees, air blowing through trees only go so far. Mm. Or maybe seeing the creature through somebody else's eyes or even on the monitors like they had the perfect setup to reveal the monster and didn't. Well, and you know that they did create an actual right. monster like a prosthetic right. to go right. on an actor have you seen this no i've not you, you need to google this because i mean they just decided it looked too ridiculous so they're just like <laughs> yeah that's not gonna work uh, right so it's, it's almost like a jaws scenario which is they had it in jaws bruce the shark just didn't work most of the time right. so they couldn't show the shark and in this case they're like we choose not to show our creatures because it's just not gonna it's gonna destroy the effect which i think is the right choice the scary yeah. baby face exactly it's all like green and kind of scaly weird looking like a snake yeah see for me like i i feel like i had the 
I guess it's kind of the opposite reaction where I, I appreciated the, cause thinking about like, wasn't it Cloverfield where Cloverfield was the same sort of a thing where the entire time they're running from this unseen thing. And then right at the end, you see it. And at least for me, I was kind of like, Oh, uh, all right. But <laughs> never seeing it because if I did, hmm. I would go insane. Like I, I kind of appreciated that. You're right, Jeremy. Like it does definitely give me that like, but what is it? I want to see it. And for me, I'm okay with that. I mean, it's one of the things I love about like stage plays. Cause I feel like stage plays do that a lot more. They leave a lot more into the audiences. Like I don't have any need to explain this. Whereas movies like to really explain every single thing a lot of times. But as far as the actual premise, for me, kind of like you said, Adam, like I feel like it's one of those things that if I think about it too much, it loses something because it feels a little bit ridiculous. Because if I'm really thinking, of, okay, what could make somebody look at it and it would make you, yeah, again, see a bunch of different things and somehow you want to commit suicide, no matter what you got going on in your life, unless you're insane already, it's going to make you commit suicide. But if I don't go that deep into it and I just go... This isn't something that's killing people. This is something that is somehow making people kill themselves. Whoa. That's kind of like you mentioned, Adam, like Freddy Krueger. That's kind of similar where Freddy Krueger was all about going into people's dreams. It wasn't even, I got to watch out for him. It's like, if I fall asleep, he's going to get me. And that's kind of like next level creepiness about like, there's literally nothing I can do to protect myself other than closing my eyes. I don't know. I, I kind of appreciate that. Yeah. Well, it, it, when you were talking about putting yourself into the film, just based on that survivor scenario, and all that for me like that's what it was is i said okay if i was taking off my blindfold what would i see like that, that was the terror is looking into my own psyche and my darkness or whatever oh. my regrets in life whatever it is and what is the thing that would drive me to that point i don't know that i found it because maybe i would not be doing the podcast now <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful that uh, the entity has not uh, done that to me but but i'm just saying you know it was one of those things where i was like okay if there's any unsettling nature to this film other than whatever gore they're going to show and people being very intense you know Sandra Bullock being extremely intense to these children that was it so I think that type of almost open-ended type of scenario where you could say okay well I could appeal to anybody if you look at it that way if you're willing to be scared by yourself and your you know the truth of your humanity in your own mind that that was kind of a cool premise I would put it that way so with that then as you guys were looking into you know saying okay is there going to be a sequel is there going to be any of that because i have not seen in production bird box 2 or something like that so do you guys feel like this is a film that is ripe for prequel sequel or even a reboot like do you think there's enough in this world that they've developed that there is something to work with well just to be upfront, I didn't think it was going to get a sequel. And I'm looking at a report here from March 19th, 2019, that Bird Box will be getting a sequel in October. Wow. Called wow, right. Mallory. Huh. Okay. Uh, well, because the one. Here we go. The, it's a sequel oh. novel. Oh, right. Uh, that was the thing that I was going to say is that Bird Box is loosely based on a novel and the novel ends around the same place that the movie ends. So if they made a sequel, it would, it would have to be based on something else. But if he's writing a different one, then yeah. 
well, this guy's going to be writing these movies forever now. He's I guess be, so. He's, he's got his books going. He's like, oh, it goes directly to Netflix. Great. <laughs> I get my paycheck if I write a book. The most there watched you know. film ever. You get two paychecks because you get one for writing the book, the second for the Netflix right. Exactly. What's this guy going to do with his life? He's going to be right. rolling in dough. <laughs> Well, I mean, look at J.K. Rowling's. She's doing fine. He'll be spending his money blindfolded. To do ah. <laughs> ah. Okay, well, I feel like we might as well just get into this then. Let's, let's see what we came up with. So, Jeff, you want to kick us off? Sure. Honestly, I never come up with good names, so I just went for Bird Box 2, The Quickening. And <laughs> in, because why not? So this one's going to take place five years later. And the, the opening credits would pan through the forest to the School for the Blind and see that the School for the Blind is ruins. There's nobody there. Everything is falling apart, which, I, to be honest, like in my pitch, I didn't really have where these would go. But I did like that format from the first one of having flashbacks throughout to explain how we got there. So there would be flashbacks throughout the movie, flashing back to like what the life was like living inside this school that one day a crack formed in the roof and let all of the birds escape, which then kind of gave the monsters uh, a foothold. They ended up somehow possessing that main blind guy and he working through the inside ended up destroying the school. Only three of them survived and it was Mallory and the two kids. But then a couple of years later, Mallory died and it'd be this big emotional thing as she was kind of sacrificing herself but i almost pictured her in the flashbacks being a little bit more linda hamilton in terminator 2 where she's become like a fighter so she's really teaching them how not only to function without seeing but even like how to fight and stuff like that so anyway the actual gist of the movie takes place again five years later and we see the boy and the girl living there alone and that they never take their blindfolds off ever they always leave it on, but they function almost like they can see. I mean, living with blind people, again, training from Mallory, that would be kind of where some of those flashbacks come into place. However, at this point, they're running out of food, even beyond just the food that was there. They go off on scavenging things and stuff like that, but the local area is all picked clean because it's been so long. Oh, so they end up trying to figure out what they can do next. So now even that, that idea of like they'd be reading maps and books, but they'd all be written in Braille because they can they learned how to read Braille, even though they're only 10 years old. But hey, it's the apocalypse. So anyway, they're figuring out that there's actually a military base that's a ways away, but it's probably a very likely place where there could be a storehouse. There might even be survivors there. So they start making their way to move to this military base. Along the way, and this is kind of where the, the movie would shift, is they would run into a cabin and this survivor named Tim would be living there and he explains to them that he survived because he is blind as well and that he was trying to make his way to the school but but then the the signal died and so he just stayed there however we can see this again they have their blindfolds on and so what we notice is the fact that tim all this time is staring straight at them so he does not seem to be a blind person at all, even though they believe that he is and he says that he is. So the entire rest of the movie, we can tell as the audience that Tim is not blind, but the kids cannot. 
So anyway, the three of them now journey together towards this military base. Along the way, they encounter a group of insane bandit people. Tim tries to sell them out, but does it in such a way that they don't actually know that he's doing it. So he's still kind of keeping the ruse up to try and entice them all the more. So the survivors end up capturing them, removing their blindfolds, only to find out that their eyes have been shut for so long that they can't open them very easily. So in the meantime, the kids, using their fighting skills, actually defeat all of the bandits, grab Tim, believing that Tim is still on their side, head back towards that the the military base. Uh, eventually, through you know some other hiccups along the way, obviously, they make it to the base. It's inhabited by survivors, but the survivors there, we as the audience obviously notice, and they mention the same thing, all of them have actually cut out their own eyes so that they are unable to be hurt by these monsters. And that's the requirement for admittance. So not only are they saying, if you want to stay, you want to do this, but they like capture them and that's what they're going to do. They're going to cut out all three of their eyes. So they have to fight to get loose and, and, and escape away. And so then that final part would be probably more of like a chase. So I'm guessing that the eyeless guys would kind of be pursuing them. Uh, and then somewhere along the lines, then Tim would also betray them. But either way, then the two of them would end up making it to some sort of a, uh, a further safe haven i think would be the the happy ending that we would eventually get to but the quickening jeff the quickening was just <laughs> the name of highlander um, no but that's cool yeah it's an interesting extension of that universe what's to come yeah boy and girl well they have names now but they'll always Olympia be boy and girl and Tom, to us. come on yeah. <laughs> Adam, go ahead. Okay. So uh, as I really dug into the Bird Box universe, I said to myself, do I want to see where this goes? Eh, they gave us a semi-happy ending. I'm happy to leave it there. So instead, I went for a prequel with the character who intrigued me the most. Just a brief mention as they go through the store, which that Fields Market scene, I just thought was the most interesting, just seeing what everybody was putting in their carts and the idea of we should just stay here forever why would we ever go back to that house that made sense but as we uh, spoke of earlier charlie met his demise at the hand of the star of my film entitled fish fingers of course. It's the story of an ex-con named douglas loman who's trying to get his life together following a five-year stay in prison for breaking his parole by proposing marriage to a former classmate named tiffany who had taken a restraining order out against him based on many incidents of stalking that he thought were romantic gestures you see doug's prison-worthy marriage proposal took the form of the overzealous romeo interrupting tiffany's actual marriage ceremony to her fiance thinking the dramatic scene would win her heart like he'd seen so many times in romantic comedy films it did not now taking a job at fields market in the seafood department thanks to a kind gesture by his cousin karina who manages the store doug is trying to move on with the help of his co-workers which includes charlie from bird box doug obviously has a one-track mind crafting mosaics of tiffany's face from frozen fish squid and lobsters they become artistic installations at the front of the seafood counter which many customers really enjoy soon he takes on the artistic moniker of fish fingers 
fingers and gains acclaim in the Los Angeles art community. Things get awkward when Tiffany accompanies her art-dealing husband, Michael, to the store in order to check out this new artist and soon recognizes Fish Fingers as Doug, her stalker. The couple try to leave, but the store has been locked down due to a riot breaking out in the parking lot caused by the occurrence. A few of the customers look out at the mayhem and are entranced to become murderous, with Doug arriving to save Michael from an attack by bashing the strange-eyed maniac to death with a bag of rice. Retreating from his seemingly heroic act, things get darker as Doug is plotting to murder Michael and comfort Tiffany in her grief. Watching them on security monitors as they strike up an alliance with other patrons of the store, setting up shop in the baby supply aisle, and is revealed that the couple are expecting. Doug's cousin Karina walks in on his homicidal preparation, and Fishfingers reveals his twisted belief that this whole mysterious event was obviously the universe's way of bringing he and Tiffany together. He's meant to be the father of her child. Threatening to warn the couple and the other store employees of Doug's obvious insanity, Doug murders Karina with a lobster claw to the eye, then sets out on his final mission. We find the prisoners of the store in revolt, demanding to be let out by Charlie, who refuses, citing that they covered all the windows due to the strange look of the affected hordes outside who are requesting to be let in to show them all the beautiful sights of the otherworldly beings who have caused the chaos. Meanwhile, Doug attacks Michael and wounds him, but then Doug is tackled by his fellow employees and locked in the walk-in seafood refrigerator. Deciding they need to get Michael to a hospital against all odds, Tiffany and her husband, after covering their eyes of course, are led out of the exit to the backloading dock by Charlie, which is next to the refrigerated cell where Doug is now trapped. Sliding open a security peephole slit in the door, Doug makes one final plea for Tiffany's heart before finally being overcome by the occurrence, and we close on a close-up of his eyes changing as credits roll. Fish fingers. Oh. <laughs> Fish fingers is coming. <laughs> oh. Wow. Wow. Psychological thriller. Ah. Oh boy. Take it away, Jeremy. All right. I decided to jump ahead about 10 years. Olympia and Tom are now around 15, 16. Kids and adults with sight go through daily training courses and weekly drills in order to survive without sight. There is some weapons training involved because, you know, you gotta have some protection. Additional survivors have arrived throughout the years running these food supplies dangerously low. Mallory has led multiple excursions to seek out additional food over the years as well as seeking out and retreating weary travelers approaching their sanctuary in the woods. One recent trip she did not return from. An ambush happened, and only two of the party survived. At this point, Olympia and Tom set out to find their mother and to bring her home, only to find that they are immune to the demons. Due to movie science and whatnot, while they were in the womb, their mothers were scared in such a way that it changed their chemical makeup so that they are now immune to these beasts, of which we didn't see in the first movie. So they lead a group of trained blind folk to retrieve their mother, if she's still alive. Do you have a title for your film? This could be it, Jeremy. This could get the vote. I know. You gotta be the quickening in Fish Fingers. Revenge of the Bird Box? Wow. <laughs> well? Bird Box immunity? I don't know. Bird box. That's not bad. That's not bad. Well, at this point, let's go around the table here. Jeff, where does your vote fall? Hmm. The title is a big thing. 
I got to admit, I would not go to see a movie called Fish Fingers. I'm just going to say, <laughs> I wouldn't. But you hesitated on yours, Jeremy, so I don't know. Yeah. No, in all reality, I do kind of like the spin-off factor of the Fish Fingers angle. So, yeah, I'd be down for checking that one out. Wow. Yeah. That That's shocking. All right, Adam. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I I like the idea, Jeremy, like you said, you know, 10 years later, figuring out that whole immunity factor, because that's obviously something we never got to see. They never got, you know, entranced or anything. So that very well could be the case. But I think the part of Jeff's story that really hooked me and, and won my vote had to do with this guy pretending to be blind. And I want to figure out why. Why is he pretending to be blind? And how does that factor in ultimately? with this story so i gotta vote for the quickening (laughs) i need to vote for the quickening as well because the initial pitch was very similar to jeff's my own and so i had to change some stuff on the fly here as we were going so yes we should cast charlie cox as the blind guy that is not blind though daredevil right that's true he does do it that way doesn't he oh wow that was actually a whole mashup side of this we didn't even consider why is it daredevil the savior of this universe yeah true (laughs) netflix you know they're technically no no longer under contract so that's true okay well first things first jeff the quickening yeah uh, <laughs> working title needs to be solidified we need we yeah. need to find out what we're gonna go with what did here. it mean anyway did it ever mean anything <laughs> what is like the highlander yeah what do you <laughs> well, it didn't mean anything then either so you just throw it around just look wicked you know they're moving quicker i don't know now, I, I feel like it has to be uh something you know blind man's burden or something like that you know <laughs> and then it's, it's... <laughs> sounds mildly offensive i don't know if we could go down that route (laughs) (laughs) but let me get into that then so this gentleman who takes the kids in Uh he's pretending to be blind and is that supposed to bring them comfort is that supposed to fool the entities because i don't think that works my thought is is the only way that that would work is he's got to be one of the insane people so it is similar Mm. to in bird box one where the guy comes in pretending not to be insane, but he actually is in the slow con or something like that. Which for me, it's kind of that. And I don't know if you guys ever saw there was a movie. Well, it's based on a play called Wait Until Dark. The movie had Alan Arkin and Audrey Hepburn where she's blind and these con men come in and they do the entire movie we can see them as the audience, that they're not doing anything that they're saying, but because she can't see them, they, she doesn't know. And it gives a whole different aspect to our experience because we know something that we can't tell the main protagonist. So I kind of that was kind of my thought, is we're in the know, but they're not. That we know that this guy is no good. Again, I kind of ran out of brain space to kind of give him a full arc to feel like what would be the ultimate result of his betrayal. I feel like he has to die or he has to kill them. But then that's a pretty sad ending. So if if because redemption, I don't think is possible. So I feel like they have to figure it out somehow. 
Yeah, he's got to meet his end. Right. Yeah, because that, that is a great point to bring up the whole suspense angle that you're waiting, you're waiting, you know, when is the shoe going to drop for this guy right. who obviously is tricking them? That's why that hook was so interesting to me. I was like, yeah, that's great. But if you're adding the layer of his insanity is, again, what allows him to play with on that. I wonder, could he be maybe someone who's one step closer to these entities? So again, we don't need to see this them but i want to understand better in this universe the people who are insane who are saying you know like you have to see it i want you to see it you know you've got to look you got so like maybe he is not overcome by that need to share it if you want to look at it that way to force people into it but he feels like they have something special so i mean maybe in this case we even could borrow jeremy's angle which is maybe he can sense that the kids are immune because maybe anybody born or, you know, in utero during the occurrence while all that was first happening could be immune. I think that's a good angle. So yeah, maybe if he, they survived. He, yeah, so the entities are kind of charging him with finding these children and getting rid of them, but he doesn't want to kill them right away because why wouldn't he just kill them the minute they come into his house, right? So there's got to be something like they have information or they are headed to a place or they've just figured out where other children like themselves are and that's a new radio transmission that's going out or that's a new underground word is you know the kids who are immune are gathering in this city if you can get there you'll be safe because we'll raise a new civilization of people who are immune or something like that i don't know see i don't know i feel like the immunity angle is kind of like it's very i am legend that's yeah, exactly where I got it. Right. Well, because my thought is on the reverse, because that was kind of the the gotcha, I guess, to the first bird box, is that the people that have the greatest advantage somehow in this world are the blind. So what about my thought was even like think about well, like Daredevil or or even Bruce Lee did a number of like blind fighting and stuff like that. People that are so adept at being blind that they can fully function and that they would somehow be the champions of this world. So I kind of like that idea. And that would be my, yeah, I mean, I guess like his motivation, the immunity thing feels a little too, uh, what are they immune to? Well, they're viewed to being affected by the entities if they take off their blindfold. So just basically they can see, they can be the eyes of whoever. I mean, because that could be an interesting angle, which is to say if he's pretending to be blind and then something happens halfway through the movie and they realize they're immune, then he has to play blind. You know, whereas before he could just say he was. And now it adds another wrinkle, a little bit more tension, where he has to pretend to be blind for them and maybe he gets sympathy from them to keep them from suspecting what he's really planning for you know like that type of thing that that, because that could be another element of drama that could be introduced if you don't want to do like a full like you know thing like they're the saviors of this world or something anyway but what about for you guys in terms of the kids are they going to be struggling with something in particular because my thought was again if they're letting this guy take care of them what if he reminds them of of Tom. You know what I'm saying? Like, they want a father figure and Mallory's dead type thing, you know? See, at least I was picturing the exact opposite, is that they are so strong that he's following them. It's not, we desperately need someone to take care of us. It's it's almost, and I don't I don't think you guys watch Walking Dead, but it's, it's like the character of Carl. 
Some of us hated Carl, but the idea of Carl was he was this kid that grew up in this world, so he was actually better suited for the world than even the adults were because he understood this is what life is. I've never known anything but this life. So for me, I kind of don't like them being... I wanted them to be like these 10-year-old karate-wielding butt kickers it was blind just fighters kind of my, yeah. yeah blind okay. fighters that that's that the movie my... that's the title jeff blind <laughs> fighters <laughs> Maybe. That feels like kick punchers, though. And well, that makes... saying, this guy is played by Jean-Claude Van Damme, and there you go, right there. Blind fighters. Oh, wow. No, but I, I see what you're saying, Jeff. Yeah, so if we drop the immunity angle, then, you're trying to figure out, you said you didn't necessarily have a motivation for him, then, to be following them, even though his desire is dastardly. Right, and it's that that weird part too is that like you kind of said, Adam, is that the the insane guy's motivation in the first movie was always a little hazy. Like, why were they so obsessed with like, no, you guys have to look at this? Here's another angle because you're wanting these kids to be like ten, but what sets these kids apart to which they would be, I guess, stalked by this demon possessed guy? We have to set them apart somehow. But also, right. if Maybe they were out on an excursion or something, and he's trying to get them to take him back to where all the blind people are. Maybe they've got a way of opening the eyes of the blind through, like, hallucinogens or something by getting him to take these drugs type deal. What if we do, because my thought was the one thing that I feel as much as I'm not a big fan of doing this in sequels, I kind of feel like what people want out of a sequel is you have to answer the, the unanswered questions from the first one. And the biggest one is, what the heck are these things? So what if he is one of those things in human form somehow? Hmm. Maybe we don't know the entire time why he's tricking them or maybe and maybe that's even the thing too maybe when he comes up with the the insane bandits maybe he's the one that kills them is that they keep saying like wait a minute but you can see don't tell them or you know whatever something like that and that we don't understand his motivation till the end and then we can have some big conflict i i don't know the more I, i think about that though the more i'm afraid of it turning into uh kingdom of the crystal skulls and we just kind of have all these aliens sitting in some sort of a room. But if we couldn't, if we, we, we could not, if we don't do that, then maybe there's another angle. to. Well, get. I mean, but that's what I find so interesting is none of us made that the focus of right. our sequel yeah. at all. We, we didn't even take that angle. We just said more of the same, right. sort of. I mean, that's true. And I, but I think that kills your franchise when you explain it. But I like that idea of here's a, you know, one of the entities in a human body somehow, like you said. So we don't get a full reveal, but there's some quick explanation at some point as to what they're trying to accomplish and maybe that sets up the third film so i don't know we'll have to come back for another episode to, to get that but that the ending of the thing is this guy travels with them the whole time maybe there's some form of betrayal but then he gets their trust back but like you said there's all these people that keep coming up and they almost you know let the bird out of the box if you will <laughs> <laughs> and I think what it should be, though, is maybe like Jeremy proposed is maybe the entity is trying to get to the blind so that he can figure out 
what is it uh, you know aside from the fact that they're blind like what can these entities do to conquer them as well and what would the benefit be to them something along those lines because again we don't know is their whole idea they just want to wipe out the whole human race so they can take the planet or are they just do they feed off the chaos like there's just no no indicator of what that is exactly so that can again be the open-ended thing but he's kind of like a scout among us i don't know if that's too much like the four Terminator film <laughs> where there's the Terminator who thinks he's human and is among them you know and all that but either way I, I think that that probably is an interesting angle that gives this story like you said it amps it up and explains a little bit more but it doesn't give it all away while they're refining the look of the entities <laughs> yeah give them a little bit more time to come up with some better prosthetics or whatever it's <laughs> So wait, what's our big climax then? And my end was very vague, where it was they meet the military base guys and they're kind of chasing them, which even that I felt was like, why are you chasing them? Because they didn't want to join you? Maybe. I don't know. But I, I kind of like more that like at some point there's a confrontation with at least Tim that turns out to be a demon creature, whatever. Well, the kids have to be defending him. I think that is the point that everybody, maybe by the end, everybody else in whatever compound they end up in, like you said, this military base, whatever, can see him for what he is somehow, can sense it, whatever. Oh, so they're actually defending him again. They've they've become entrenched with him, and so right. until they finally something triggers it, something right. makes them realize. Well, or like you could even leave it in a very ominous sort of non-ending where they do finally make it to that perfect place, and they won't let Tim in, and so the kids and Tim leave, and, oh, and yeah. they choose him. And then, and like they leave into the forest, and then like he turns around and looks at the camera as credits roll. Like, no! Oh, I like it. <laughs> you chose the wrong guy. <laughs> I mean, that's good because it's just as abrupt as the original ending, which is kind of like, okay, right. it's over now. Right. Oh. But at okay. least there was a happy one. This is a very, very sad one. <laughs> there is no hope children that's what you do with the with the second sequel you know i mean that's that's what happens you know empire strikes back whatever True. it's your cliffhanger True. now we can have the greek trilogy and then <laughs> we have we have the eye gouging out already we were we're ready to do oedipus rex we're ready. <laughs> oh, so classical yes well i like it i think you know blind fighters is gonna be a hit <laughs> but can we go with blind fighters come on <laughs> Or, or it could be, you know, if we want to call it out of the bird box, you know, oh. so we don't know. <laughs> leading the blind. Okay. So it's like blind leading the blind or whatever. So it's just bird box two leading the blind. Ooh, bird box two, Tim. Or just call no, it Tim. Tim. Forget bird box two. <laughs> just call it Tim. <laughs> if somebody like hears it too fast, they'll think it's a sequel to that Joaquin Phoenix film. Her, oh, like him. What? Yeah, her, no, yeah. Tim. Oh, <laughs> Tim. What? No, I don't get it. <laughs> well, I like it. I like it. I think we'll come back for more. But you can still, you know, catch my fish fingers uh, spinoff oh, film fiction. <laughs> when they get desperate, they'll come to me. <laughs> I'll, I'll just retitle it, you know, and it'll still just be like, what was that, uh, Robin Williams? film where he was like the psycho guy that worked in a photo uh, oh. developing station yeah 
Uh, that's what I was imagining this film to be like, sort of. Anyway, uh, so with that, we thank you for joining us for this episode of Sequel Quest here on the Retro Network. And like we said at the top, if you have ideas for what you want to hear us uh, sequelize or prequelize or even reboot, you see a franchise that had potential needs another chance to wow you we're here to provide. Also, want to let you know, so our uh, next few episodes, we're excited to dig deeper into the history of cinema and give you a little bit more retro, maybe something you were expecting. So we are going to actually come back to you with a sequel to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Can it be done? Oh, time will tell. But uh, we're, we're going to have a guest on that episode whose name is Colton, who actually is a part of our sequel chat episodes. So when we're not making up fake movies, we're reviewing actual movies that hit the cinemas. So we are happy to bring that to you as well. So stay tuned because we'll certainly be bringing you our uh, thoughts on Spider-Man, Far From Home, X-Men, Dark Phoenix, among others. Hey, Frozen 2 is on the way later in the year, so you never know. So yes, we are looking forward to coming back to you. And until next time, keep those blindfolds on. for listening to this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to continue the fake movie fun on social media. Submit your ideas for future episodes to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com or SQPod on Twitter. The films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network. <laughs>